Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello and welcome to Cinematic Universe, the podcast that has subjected itself to spawn for your listening pleasure. I'm <laughs> Joe Cunningham and joining me to help make sense of the comics behind the movies are... Seb Patrick and James Hunt. We will discuss the latest comic movie and TV news uh, before diving into our spoiler-filled discussion of Mark A.Z. Depays. Don't know how to pronounce that. We'll, we'll call him Dippy for the rest of this podcast. <laughs> 1997 film Spawn. But before any of that, I'm going to ask Seven James to take me to a place that we don't visit that often, but we have fun every time we go there. Guys, explain to me what's going on in Comics Corner. (laughs) This is a transparent way to disguise the fact we haven't got much actual movie news, isn't it? No, not much much news, or at least the news there is, not much to talk about. But we haven't talked comics for quite a while um, and I'm keen for you guys to catch me up. What's good? What 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 the headlines in the world of comics? What have I been missing out on? Well, Joe, I know you're going to be very happy to hear that Marvel is bringing back the Uncanny X-Men. Oh! <laughs> so, <laughs> Marvel have been doing... Right, so since I was last in comics... The, when I was last reading comics regularly, X-Men comics were bad. Has that changed? No. Right, okay. So they... <laughs> So they went from that, I believe. Did they did they did X Men versus Inhumans? Is that, is that a thing that's happened? Yes, that was bad. Yeah, um, and they did X Men Blue and it was like Pokemon Blue and Gold and Red, right? Yeah, they they had Blue and Gold, and they introduced Red and Black. Oh, um, I didn't know about Black. Some of those I think are still going to be around, but Uncanny X Men is coming back for the first Which time is... in about three or four years, maybe. Okay, and that's the series, that's kind of the flag... In terms of name, that's the flagship series that uh, What's-His-Face did for years and years. What's that? I've forgotten his Chris name. Chris Claremont. Yeah, yeah. Chris Claremont, that, like, yes. Uncanny X-Men is the, the X-Men title, and with any luck, the fact that it's coming back and the fact that the, the time-travelling children X-Men are probably going away quite soon signals a sort of return to form for Marvel and the X-Men property. At least that's what I'm hoping, because I love the X-Men and I haven't been reading the comics properly for God knows how long. How are they... Um, what, 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 well, what makes you say that the, um, that the young team are likely to go away? Is that something that's been hinted at? Is there a specific reason or a specific method by which they might? Uh, I forget the specifics, but the latest solicitation kind of suggests X-Men Blue has been cancelled and that all they're going away... Because, you know, I mean, we I, we agree they were a bad idea in the first place, right? 
And like I all, all the X-Men things, Marvel has kind of dragged out this bad <laughs> idea for quite a long time. I quite liked them. Um, I liked Teen Gene and I liked Teen Cyclops. Oh, um, it was totally... It was fun for one storyline, but there was no actual <laughs> plot reason I th- for them I think to it was worth around. having Teen Gene around up until the point where they brought actual Gene back. Quite. Which they now have. I read um, an Astonishing X-Men annual that came out because it looked interesting. And I actually thought, I saw it on Comixology and I thought it was a number one. I thought it was a launch of a new series <laughs> because it was based around the original five except for Cyclops because obviously he's dead. Yes. And I thought this was them being set up in a new ongoing. And yeah, it's that not. would have been a really good idea. It's just a side story in Astonishing X-Men. But as a standalone issue, it worked quite well and it introduced to me the fact that apparently Professor X is back as a character called X. He's yeah, like being reborn is... in a new body with a slightly more cynical attitude well this is um so charles Soule did an astonishing x-men series that i actually quite liked it was very sort of 90s influenced um and in that series they bring professor x back to life essentially but in phantom x's body oh it's in phantom x's body yeah right, but okay. with with professor x's young face or something it's some some nonsense like that but um right. yeah the implication is he's saying he's professor xavier but also he's kind of not like there's something more sinister about him. So he's sort of, you know, a bit wrong, basically. Might, might he it... be Magneto instead? <laughs> what is Magneto's no, no. status? Is he alive and around at the moment? He he is running the X-Men Black team, I think. Right. Um, but yeah, that, that annual is actually pretty good. Because as you say, it's like the, the remaining original five X-Men mm. talking to the guy who is currently professing to be Professor Xavier. So okay, so that's what's going on with the X Men at Marvel. <laughs> last 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 we talked, Marvel were very much in the doldrums comparative to DC. There's been lots of shakeups, lots of like established writers on books have moved on or onto other titles. What's what's the state of affairs now? Are things looking up for Marvel? Do they have? Are there like is are there like bright spots on the horizon? What's going on? <laughs> I've enjoyed some stuff I've been reading at Marvel recently. Um, I, I was I was remarking some, to recently that um, it seems that all of a sudden, almost every new launch at Marvel is written by Matthew Rosenberg or Kelly Thompson, um, <laughs> which is not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, the, the, I mean that that X Men Annual was by Rosenberg, I think, wasn't it? And he's done a Punisher. He's launched a new Punisher series, the first issue of which came out last week, which was okay. Um, Kelly Thompson, um, who is uh, an old friend of Brian Michael Bendis and writes very like Brian Michael Bendis. Um, she's taken over Jessica Jones and she's also... what well, uh, She's doing Mr. and Mrs. X, which is mm-hmm. the Rogue and Gambit series that James talked about on our last minisode, which the first couple of issues of that have been really good. Um, and she also wrote this week the first issue of West Coast Avengers, which is the new book with Kate Bishop Hawkeye, Miss America... Um, who else is in it? Gwenpool's in it. Uh, I can't even remember who all the other characters are, but um, basically what, what comics gators would call the SJW side of Marvel all gathered right. together in one book. <laughs> and that was a really well, fun first issue. Um, cause as I say, like she is, I mean, and also her, her first issue of Jessica Jones was terrific as well. You know, I've always been skeptical about somebody taking Jessica Jones over from Bendis, but Kelly Thompson's turned yeah, out to be a really properly, good choice. That was properly good. Um, well, so, so that's the question I kind of wanted to ask as well. Is I know there was a lot of talk about like uh, that Marvel were going to be m- after Legacy moving back to kind of their original heroes back in their you know back mm. with that mantle and they're kind of 
legacy characters being pushed aside and moving more towards the side that would appease those fans who had been unhappy that Marvel were focusing on stuff like Squirrel Girl and, yeah, Miss Marvel over the likes of actually having Tony Stark as Iron Man or um, Mm. having a Lady Lady Thor. So it has... does the lineup look a little bit more traditional now? They they have sort of rolled back those those identities, but at yeah. the same time they've kept the the new characters around. So like, you know, Riri Williams is now Ironheart instead of Iron Man, and she's getting her own book. So she's still going to be around. She's just not going to be the the lead in the Iron Man book. Mm. Yeah. And we've had the first couple of issues of Dan Slott's Iron Man, which I've got to be honest, I haven't loved. Um, it's not Tony Stark again. Yeah, it's it's fine. It's just I haven't found it especially interesting. Um, I think partly because Slot was doing Peter Parker as a science hero previously, so a lot of the kind of setup and ideas just feel a little bit like stuff he was already doing. And of course, he's launched the new Fantastic Four, which restarted uh, a couple of weeks ago, as we record this. I think. Yeah. So yeah. here's here's my question: Why is it taking you so long to get to that? Is it is it not the the kind of exciting <laughs> return that you hoped it would be? Or? The problem with the first issue is, <laughs> as good as it was, like it's a great it was not issue in it. zero. They're not in it, yeah. are they? <laughs> they don't meet up until like the very end of the issue is uh, the the giant four appearing in the sky to signal to to Johnny and Ben that Reed and Sue are alive. Mm. And it's but like, best... that's great, but I really wanted to see the Fantastic Four in yeah. that book. Yeah, the, but the best part of the issue is the flashback. To, I mean, Joe, sorry, from what you just said, have you read this as well? It sounds like you've read this. No, oh, okay. no. I, was, um, yeah, so I, I, I mean... I'm... And basically, I, this I I will read this at some yeah. point. But, so yeah. So there's a flashback to a previous Fantastic Four mini adventure, which hits all the notes that you were hoping for if you read Slot Silver Surfer and you wanted to see Slot doing the Fantastic Four, but like his Silver Surfer. So that's encouraging, and he writes the characters really well. Um, no doubt about that. So yeah, that could be a good book, but it needs the plot to start happening pretty soon because yeah that first issue should not have been a first issue. <laughs> it should have been a, they should have extreme. done a double length issue and that should have been the first half of it i mean it was a double length issue though uh, right? was it oh, okay. yeah, it should have been a triple length <laughs> issue yeah. yeah it's it's kind of notable there was a little comic strip in the back of fantastic four one where they essentially apologized for that not having the team <laughs> together and were like don't worry they're going to be together next issue and I yeah. read that there was a backup strip somewhere with Doctor Doom kind of returning to Latveria and going back into yeah. set, setting up him returning to that status quo as well because he's yeah because he Man was recently, he was right? international Iron Man for a while yeah mm. I was reading a roundup of what they'd done with that character and I actually thought that I, I, I'm not going to go back and read it but I actually thought that like on a like a, a larger character arc kind of thing it, it sounded like it sounded interesting and like a good setup for reintroducing him to the fantastic four which was that reed had basically said to him you've got a chance to go and live mm. on an earth where i don't exist you can finally prove to yourself that if i didn't exist mm-hmm. you could you could be, you could go out there and be the hero and they've... essentially he's done it he's tried it he's had to go back with his tail between his legs somewhat and now but he hasn't he doesn't look like he's just going back to being a villain he's going back to being 
doom and looking like that and and you know being involved with with latveria again but i think it's he's going to take on that role but but with his only interest being not to be a superhero in the world but to be a protector of latveria like i think with everything that's been done with doom in the last 10 years you can't go back to dr doom being the figure that he was before it's just that there is just no conceivable character art that can send him back to just being the malevolent cackling supervillain kind of like they've done with dr octopus as well um you know you i mean i know that with arc what they did was they they've they've regressed him to a point where he doesn't remember being uh superior spider-man completely because it's he's from a point before then but there's enough of it in there do you know what I mean? It's like they sort of, you can't just scrub it all and pretend that it never happened. And it's definitely true with, with Doom. And I like the idea of Doom being kind of, if not if not a full-on villain, then an antagonist, but kind of a, a Black Adam or a Namor type figure, essentially. Like, not the baddie, but just he will be politically at cross-purposes with everyone <laughs> most of the time. Yeah. Or just or just a more interesting nuanced villain that maybe you can have him Yeah, well I mean he's yeah just that, that, that nuance a, is is baked yeah. into him now. That's that again, that's what I mean. That's the stuff you can't get away from. I mean he's always had a, a reasonable amount of <laughs> I was as gonna far say as he's Marvel always kind go, of been yeah, yeah, he's always kind of been that character anyway. Yeah. Um but but yeah, so I, I think I don't think this heralds a he, it's just gonna go back to the way things always were. I think hopefully it's it's an interesting new direction. And, you know, I just talked about Superior Spider-Man, and he's being written by Dan Slott, so hopefully that will be um, interesting. Yeah, I mean, to answer your original question, International Iron Man was probably quite a good series. The problem is it was written by Bendis, so... <laughs> well, we'll, we'll so, come okay. on to Bendis in a minute, but let's... Uh... <laughs> uh, w- one quick thing before we move on from Marvel. Um, based on knowing me and the comics that I have liked in the past... If you were going to say, Joe, jump on, here's five Marvel comics from the current run. What five? What should I... Yeah, between you, you can come up with five. <laughs> Are you still reading Squirrel Girl? Because Squirrel Girl's still good, even though Erica Henderson's left. I'm not reading anything right now. Okay. there's. I mean, Squirrel Girl is still worth... I was concerned about it. I think there was a point where it got slightly... It was all. It always had moments, but I think the plot and character stuff felt like it had stagnated a little bit just before Erica Henderson left. And then there was her last issue that she drew was an amazing self-contained done in one issue that I, I can't remember the issue number off the top of my head, but it's Erica Henderson's last issue. So go and look it up. And that yeah. was just a fantastic done in one that was like everything you like about that Squirrel Girl series was present in that. And it would have been a great point for Ryan North to leave as well. He's carried on since and done a. I've just realised am I repeating myself because I. I've talked about Craven the Hunter. Um, did I ring- did I say yeah, this you- exact thing when we were talking about Craven the Hunter and I said there'd you, been a really good talk- Craven the Hunter arc? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, basically. That okay. Craven the Hunter arc of Squirrel Girl. Sorry. Um, so I think that. Um, I think, James, would you agree that, that based on the first issue, Fantastic Four will be worth following? Yeah, I think it will be, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, I would say there's a new Defenders series about to come out although it's the original defenders lineup so it's um you know doctor strange and silver surfer and hulk and those guys hmm. okay uh, um, so that's when that comes out in a few months that will probably be worth reading 
I, I, I think there's a few, because now that I think about it, I mean, unfortunately, one that's about to come to an end, and this is a character we haven't got onto, is Spider-Man, and I'm concerned about Spider-Man. But while it's still going, for as long as it is, which is only a few more issues, um, Peter Parker, Spectacular Spider-Man by Chip Starsky, um, is fantastic. Um, is is Miles still Spider-Man? Are they Miles still calling him Spider-Man? Has, Miles has... I think not actually appeared in a comic except for a one-off annual since Bendis left. Mm. I think he may have made background appearances in things, but um, yes, I'm concerned about Miles because mm. I don't think anyone at Marvel has any interest in writing him as Spider-Man anymore. And I think um, I feel like it's only really that, that i feel like basically they're waiting for that movie to happen before they either shuffle him off entirely i don't think they'd do that or they make him not a spider-man anymore um is is what i feel like <laughs> right okay that's disappointing is sam wilson still a captain america or has he had a demotion as well i think he turned back to falcon a while ago yeah. i haven't i haven't checked but uh Okay, <laughs> but but I would to, just to come out to the recommendation that I would recommend based on that first issue, the West Coast Avengers series. Um, that seems like it's it's going to be good fun. And yeah, I think it's got Kate Bishop as the lead, so you know. I think I to like be fair, Mister Mister Mrs X as well is a really fun like superhero husband and wife comic mm. that doesn't require a ton of X Men knowledge. So that yeah, that might I mean, actually be worth a, a glut of characters turn up in it. But I think th- I think the book explains enough about who they are that it doesn't matter if you don't know them like i don't know a lot of the people who've turned up in the first couple of issues apart from deadpool um but but it doesn't really matter because they're mainly MacGuffins for the story so it's I, just i basically... like the high concept of that it sounds it sounds like an easy enough but yeah it's, it's rogue and gambit it's like everyone likes rogue and gambit it's a <laughs> it, it's an easy sell um i've been enjoying al ewing's immortal hulk as well um that's been good um but yeah, like I say, the 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 thing that concerns me is Spider Man because Zdarsky is leaving Peter Parker, which is a shame, um, because that's he just has such a good handle on that character and on Jonah in particular. And I've noticed um, with the most recent issue already a bit of a clash in the spectacular still has Peter in a certain status quo regarding his job and life that has already been thrown out by Nick Spencer's amazing. So, you know, I don't think that's necessarily like, I don't think it clashes about direction and the reason why Zdarsky's left, but it already makes Peter Parker feel like a book that, you know, is, is winding down. Um, Spencer's amazing. I've read the first couple of issues of, and it, it's not bad, but it feels like comics haven't like progressed at all since the, early 2000s yeah i think i read i read the first three issues i think and i just haven't picked up the fourth because i'm like okay it's it's not for me it's yeah it's like it's not and this isn't just like us ragging on nick spencer for for being nick spencer (laughs) Uh, because it's because what i find interesting is that this book is so safe because i don't think that's something you would generally accuse spencer of and if you look at like spencer's creator-owned work particularly I would have expected something a well, that, lot yeah, more that's, that's boundary thing, pushing like, from him in, doing Spider-Man. In fairness to Spencer, like every project he's done recently has been divisive or yeah, you know, daring in some creative way. This is like this just reminds me of those Spider-Man comics that used to come out sort of you know 
between the Clone Saga and and Straczynski's run, where yeah. it was just like they didn't really have an idea for what to do. With and even the, the art style, like I was looking at some of the covers, and there was the cover of an issue. I think it's the cover of issue three, where it's <laughs> with the two Peter of, Parker yeah. and Spider Man, and that that could be a cover from any point between about 1994 and like 1998, or even longer <laughs> than that, because that's not a very long period. But it's just. You know, I I feel like I've seen not just that image, but that style of art so many times a long time ago. And that's just not, that just doesn't sell a comic to me at all. Um, So, you know, if people are enjoying it, fine. As I say, I don't think it's doing anything egregiously bad with the character or anything from what I've read, but it's not, um, yeah, it's not an exciting Spider-Man book. And I I feel like it was always going to be difficult for them to follow on from slot. And I think, but I think somebody needed to come along and really put a marker down. And I, it doesn't look like that's happening. Yeah. The marker at the moment just looks like I'm the guy who was willing to take this ex- exceedingly bad gig and I didn't really have any ideas for it. <laughs> I mean, the story arc is called Back to Basics, yeah. <laughs> which I think tells you everything. Right. Let's go over to DC and talk about the thing that I know you're both like dying to talk about. Um, what's happening with The Watchmen? <laughs> I've no idea. <laughs> I think there have been some more issues of Doomsday Clock, but I don't know what's happening in it. You you could not pay me. You could not hold enough children hostage <laughs> to make me read that book. I have seen so, some quite positive comments about the last I may, might have been the last issue. I don't know what number they're up to that said that like it was a quite interesting story. It was turning into potentially an interesting story about the villains in the DC universe. But the problem was just it had the Watchmen stuff unnecessarily attached to it. And it was like, if if Jeff Johns was just doing this story in DC without the Watchmen stuff, it might be more palatable and might actually be good. But yeah, I, I, I don't want to comment on, on something I'm not reading, but... So uh, the D- DC for me, at least at last check, seemed like since Rebirth had reinvigorated the characters in terms of their own books, but also from a larger universe stuff, aside from all the Watchmen stuff, had like dangled and teased enough little tidbits that people were excited about the direction the wider universe mm. could be going. There was that three Jokers thing, which I believe is is coming to fruition soon. Is it's that right? Fi- I think finally that, yeah, Johns is going to do the, the storyline or do it as a crossover. I don't know exactly what's happening. Um, right, okay. Um, but but is, is, is that the exciting stuff that's happening in DC or is it still... Is it still the fact that these characters have just kind of got a new lease of life and yeah, I mean, a lot I of think, the books are working? I think some of the second tier stuff, that some of the stuff that was quite lively post-rebirth, and there have been some creative team changes, and I think there are books which, I mean, for example, Green Arrow, which I was loving for the first year or so, um, has now changed creative team, and I've, I've not been that interested in the follow-up. And the same kind of goes for Detective Comics as well. I think there are series which are maybe struggling slightly to still have that momentum 
with with the kind of the follow up um, creative teams. DC also dropped a bit of a ball with their their new age of heroes thing, which was when they launched a new set of characters, and the emphasis was on the artists and the, who had co created them. Uh, and the idea was you had these superstar artists paired up with writers who most of whom actually weren't their best writers. Like one of them was written by Dan DiDio and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> And actually, a lot of those ended up not having the artists draw them beyond like the first issue or two, and none of them were interesting characters. So they all kind of died a death. So that hasn't really worked. Um, I think there's good. There should be some interesting stuff coming up with DC. Grant Morrison is taking over Green Lantern soon. Um, unfortunately, it is the Hal Jordan Green Lantern, but um, they announced in solicitations that the book is called The Green Lantern, and it has a really cool logo. And it's Grant Morrison and Liam Sharp, and um, I'm excited for Grant Morrison doing anything at DC, so I'll look forward to see what he's going to do with that. It's not necessarily what I would have chosen him to do if he was coming back to DC, but I'll take it because it's a new Grant Morrison book. Um, Batman and Superman. Batman continues. Tom King's Batman continues to be Tom King's Batman. Uh, It's moved into a new phase now that we've had the wedding that didn't happen. Um, The last most recent story arc has been about Bruce Wayne being on a jury for the trial of Mr. Freeze, who Batman had beaten up and captured. And that's been really fascinating because the direction that Batman is going in and pretty much has been since the start of Tom King's run is Batman being Batman makes Bruce Wayne incredibly unhappy. And um, it's just been pretty constantly exploring that. Um, I feel like where it's heading is Bruce is being manipulated by by a villain, possibly Bane, uh, into giving up being Batman because, like, um, it, it, he feels like it's destroying his life, basically. Um, but it's the the psychological stuff that it's been doing generally has been really interesting, and that last arc was great. Um, so I'm still very much on board with that. Um, and you've got Bendis on Superman and Action Comics, which um, and how's that working? Um, I think. <sighs> I'm not so totally sold on where some of where it's been going plot-wise in that, I mean, in a lot of instances, it's just taken a while for plot to actually start to happen. Um, I don't like that he just sort of has written Lois and John out by sending them off into space, um, although the most recent issue of Action Comics dropped a bit of a twist at the end of it which is, uh, if anyone doesn't mind spoilers, um, that Lois Lane is actually back on Earth but has been um, secretly in hiding from Clark and we don't know why. Um, But the main thing about it is he's writing Superman really, the character really, really well. Um, It's quite different. His take on him, like he writes him with it, he's doing a lot of internal monologuing stuff and he writes his voice in a really quite playful way and it works. It fits the character. It does feel like Clark, but it's not a way that we're used to seeing Superman be written, and that's been quite enjoyable. Um, also, he had uh, an in-canon appearance by Nuclear Man in the last issue of Superman, <laughs> which is the first time, I believe, that Nuclear Man has ever appeared in a DC comic, as- except for the, the, the adaptation of the Superman 4 movie comic that i i watched an episode of teen titans go that he was in like as a cameo earlier today (laughs) i was like oh seb will find that interesting 
Yeah, I do find that interesting. But basically, it was one of those where it was a really funny reveal. It was a, you turn the page, and there is a full-page splash of Nuclear Man. And Nuclear Man fights, sadly not Superman, but um, it was in the Phantom Zone, and it was it was the, the villain, uh, Rogel Czar, or whatever he's called, that, that Bendis has created. So it's I, I don't really know where it's going, but I, I'm enjoying how he writes the character. I think it feels at the moment like he genuinely has been waiting a long time to write him, and he's getting out the, the stuff he's wanted to do with the character for a while. Like, he's you know, he's had him say pieces that sort of feel like this has been in your brain for a while when you think about Superman, if you know what I mean. Um, so, yeah, that's. I think. I think it's interesting. Um, yeah. Anything else at DC or anything else outside of Marvel and DC that we should that you want to uh, fill me on on before we move on to the little um, bits of news that we got? I can we tell everyone to read Giant Days as usual, <laughs> like we always do? Uh, that has ju- that has just continued to be oh, fucking excellent. It's getting would, very close to finishing too. So is it actually going to end? He said it's going to end when they they finish their third year of uni. Okay, but they're only just going into third year now, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, so that's straight. still there should be a good year's worth of of it. Um, mm-hmm. I'll just just before we move on totally from DC. Um, out of the Batman wedding, um, a new Catwoman solo ongoing launched, uh, written and drawn by Joelle Jones. Um, it's been really good the first couple of issues and Joelle Jones is I think one of the best artists working in comics at the moment so have a look at that for because um, she is just great at doing action and character stuff um, so give that a look because that's quite good and Catwoman's a really good character so um, but yeah no I mean outside of DC and Marvel um, stuff I'm reading keeps ending unexpectedly um jeff lemire wrapped up royal city like he when he launched that it was supposed to be something that he was going to do for years and years um and then he decided to finish it after like 15 issues he said he suddenly reached the end point without realizing um and saga has just ended on a massive cliffhanger well, not cliffhanger, but a big, big, big event and is going on an extended hiatus and probably will come back. But when it comes back, like I don't think it's going to come back for at least a year and it will essentially be going into, you know, a completely different phase of whatever it's doing. So, mm. but that was a bit, I don't know if anyone else is, is still reading Saga, but um, those last few issues and the last one in particular were, were pretty bloody shattering. <laughs> so, right. <laughs> But yeah, Saga's one that I, uh, me, Laura and I read together, so I definitely will be catching up on that. Um, yeah. But through the trades, probably. I think I'm probably two or three trades behind at this point. Um, oh, and, and, and Sandman is back. Uh, DC have started yeah, the Sandman I'm, universe. Yeah, I actually meant stuff. to ask you if you've read this. I did, I bought it. Yeah, I wanted the Sam Keith cover, cover so I bought the Sam Keith cover one. Is um, it good? It's, um, yeah... I <laughs> that doesn't sound very convincing. Well, no, it should be the thing. The thing about the first issue is it's the first issue is kind of a jam issue. It jumps around all the different characters and setups that they're going to do. Looking at it, I think the things that I'm most likely to potentially want to read the series of are uh, I'll read Cyspiria's Dreaming. Um, you know, I, I like the Dreaming characters, and I think the Dreaming is one that has potential um, to to explore a bit more with i do think it's interesting though because the the premise of it um involves daniel but daniel being missing but but he does appear in the first issue and i just think it's really interesting that 
like DC will base even when Neil Gaiman is involved, which he is with this, they just won't publish a comic called The Sandman with Daniel as the lead character. So even though this series is going to be about Daniel, it's called The Dreaming. You know, the, the the one shot they did is called the Sandman Universe, and that's what they're calling the whole line. But it's like, unless Neil Gaiman is writing it, it's like they have a policy that they will literally never publish a series just called well, the Sandman okay. ever again. Let, let's be fair. The reason they're not doing it is because they don't want to piss off Neil Gaiman because he's a money factory. Oh no, I know, but I just, but I just, but I wonder if that's him. If that's him saying you can do whatever you want with these characters, or you know, you can do whatever you want and have me as a creative consultant and, and give me approval on it. But what you can't do is call it the Sandman, like. This, yeah. this 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 I imagine book. I imagine at some point he went you know if you you know I don't want anyone else to do Sandman but me or I don't want a book called Sandman but use the characters yeah exactly but I, but I just like, find that interesting that they are sticking with that you well know. I mean for years the reason they didn't touch Watchmen was because they were like well Alan Moore might come back yeah and it was only when he made it abundantly clear he wouldn't that they went well okay let's do whatever we want then mm. so I yeah, can so I can fun. totally understand why they wouldn't wouldn't publish a Sandman book without Gaiman. Hmm. But I um yeah I mean I I think I'll I'll give the dreaming a go. I they they're doing a new books of magic and I always feel like I don't think books of magic from after that initial mini series ran long enough with Tim Hunter as a kid like he grew up and went on and did other things quite quickly and I feel like the the original premise of just the original books of magic series could have run for longer. I think the issue that that you've got is you've got a kid with glasses and an owl um, <laughs> who is a magician. Um, so in a post-Harry Potter world, even though Books of Magic came first, it's hard to do that. But the the few the few pages of Books of Magic story were enough to make me think, yeah, I'll I'll give that a look as well. So um, I think I've I've so, there was a, an a, an element of me that thought when this was first announced, this is a bit ridiculous. Why are you even bothering? But in a time when pretty much any property gets exploited eventually, um, I don't think you know. I don't think there will ever be a comic about the Sandman characters that's as good as Sandman ever again. That's that's just never going to happen. But yeah, why not do this? Why not give it a go? See what it's like. So, right, okay. Shall we move on now to the uh, comic book, movie, and TV news? The brief little bits of news before we can get to our main discussion um from the way you said that joe it occurs to me that that all of that was completely meaningless to you because you've never read sandman or anything related to it exactly yeah in fact i have read a a very little bit but well it is it is like one of the absolute best comics ever published still it's yeah but hey how am i going to find the time to read that when seamless segue i'm watching all of the arrowverse tv shows (laughs) next year Because the big news this week is that in the Season 3 Arrowverse crossover, which I believe will be a three-parter just involving Arrow, Flash, and um, Supergirl, that was the, that's the episode that's, go- or the crossover that's going to introduce Ruby Rose's Batwoman. Um, it's also going to feature the return of Tyler Heckland's Superman, who I don't think has been seen on those shows for a full season, uh, Probably yeah, he was in and, he was in season two of Supergirl, and that was it. Yeah, but like the premiere and the finale, and that was it, right? Yeah, yeah. So he's coming back, and with him is going to be Lois Lane, who is going to be 
making her first appearance on the Arrowverse. Um, and I think the exciting thing about all of that is that given that it's in the crossover, that also means that Superman and Lois will probably be meeting the Flash and Arrow characters as well. So you'll get to see Supergirl, Superman, Flash and Arrow together on on the screen. And given the way that super that those shows give all of their supporting characters stuff to do, Lois Lane will probably play a pretty active part as well. And Batwoman, of course. Um, so, Seb, you're probably the number one Lois Lane fan around these parts, nay, everywhere. Um, <laughs> this isn't What true. do you think about it's, this? I know my daughter is called Lois, but she's not named after Lois Lane. I like Lois Lane. She's not my yeah. favourite character. <laughs> <laughs> you, um, keep, you keep telling your wife that, Seb. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if there's... I was going to say, I don't know if there's any suggestion over who might play her, but it'll probably be somebody we've never heard of, won't it? Well, do you know so. what, right? I was I was looking at... I was... Because uh, I was wondering about this, and I was thinking, how do they pitch this? Because they've already introduced Lucy Lane, who is played by Jenna Dewan, and Jenna Dewan is 37, and Lucy Lane's the younger sister. Um, Tyler Hecklin's only 30, so presumably this Superman's going to be a bit of a toy boy to an older Lois Lane. Uh well I I I've just thought of somebody. Go I right I've got I've got two I've got one idea of someone I would like it to be and two yeah. that I think are more likely for the Arrowverse but yeah you, um, give, is me. one of them going to be Evangeline Lilly? <laughs> no because she is the wasp. <laughs> Go on tell me yours and I'll, I, but I'll, I'll tell you if one of them is the name that just occurred to me. So the two that I think would make sense given it's given that these are shows on the CW are Nina Dobrev and Rachel Bilson. Right. Uh, I could see either of those working. Uh my dream piece of casting is Christina Ricci. Uh but I don't <laughs> think I don't think that would ever happen. Although she's probably in a place where she might take that kind of role on TV. Right. Who do you think it's going to be, Seb? Rachel Bloom. Oh, I mean that would be fantastic. That would be really that works, fantastic. doesn't it? Especially because then you've got the possibility for a musical episode. <laughs> yeah, I, I just, I, yeah, I. Yeah, now, now that that's I, in my head, that's a, that's going to be a hard one to shake in terms of the. Yeah. It should have been. It's like when they did Superman Returns, and I still can't get my head around the fact that Parker Posey wasn't Lois in that film. Um, Parker Posey would still work <laughs> we'll, here. We'll get to that podcast. <laughs> Will we? Will we though? <laughs> still I mean, I'd, I'd still take Parker Posey as Lois now, but probably not with a Tyler Hecklin Superman because that yeah. really would be Toy Boy territory. It's 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 strange. It's a strange position they put themselves in. I don't know whether Lucy Lane has been there. I mean, not, not that it really matters. You could have a, an older Lois. You, I guess she would have to. Uh, uh, I don't know whether they canonically said that she was younger or older than. I was going to say they could quite Lucy. easily just say, "Oh, Lucy was lying." <laughs> yeah, she's she's the younger sister. I think the the other the other place that it pretty much has to be um, a white actress because of the rest of the casting of the Lane family that we've seen. Um, I think so. That kind of narrows down your options as well, and also um, because Warner don't want to get you know bomb threats from white supremacists. <laughs> everyone wants everyone at Warner wants to keep their jobs. Yes. Um, but yeah, I think I think it'll be nice to see Lois on on the small screen. I think they've probably they've ca- they've had multiple Lois lanes in Supergirl from other TV shows, so it'll be nice to get their own. Mm-hmm. Um, and nice to see Tyler Hoechlin Superman back because he was. Uh, Can they give him? He a was. He was fun in his time. original. 
Well, Henry Cavill's still asking for the same thing, so, so. <laughs> they, can, they can all live in hope. Um, we'll breeze through the rest of the news this week. Um, a piece of news we're expecting, we've talked it to death, but Guardians of the Galaxy 3 is going on to indefinite hiatus. Um, so it was can due we, can to... I, can, I, can, I just, can I just take a moment for this, right? Yeah? This is for Disney. Well done. <laughs> yeah. Well done on 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 yeah. having like, you know, one of the most guaranteed money farms in in movies. And and I know it's not going to have a huge effect on the overall profitability of the MCU, but to manage to screw this up this badly is just Yeah, on the basis of right-wing conspiracy fuckwits. Yeah. Yeah, and this it's, is let's not even get into the should he or should he not be be doing the film thing. It, it's not even to me. It's not even about that. It's like you know you could have come to that decision in a different way from how they've done it. I think it's as much how and how quickly they've made this decision that has affected how bad how badly the the cast have reacted to it. And essentially now the it's evident to me that the cast are holding the film to ransom here. I well, I don't think they are because I don't think they can contractually. Or do you think it's more that just nobody wants to touch it with a barge pole? No, I, I think that if they, I think that there, there is nothing holding them to putting a Guardians of the Galaxy film out so quickly. Yeah, in in phase four, it's the not like an Ant Man situation, right? It's not like the film is ready to go and they just need someone behind the camera. Like, mm. no, whoever takes was, over is the- going to get get this from scratch basically it was that james gunn had it ready to go because yeah. he'd been thinking about it meticulously for ages disney presumably if they did want to make any any large swipe changes can't make those coming out of infinity war anymore because that production has wrapped so they can't like they can't set up things for a different type of <laughs> guardian three than they'd already well, so yeah, and then you've got someone like Dave Batista who's clearly going to turn up and like <laughs> fulfill his contract, but he's not going Batista's to be happy most about recent it. Tweet about it. Yep. Uh, it's, and, and for the benefit of our know... listeners, please, and me who hasn't, um, he he quote tweeted a, a video about Mike Chernovich, just of Mike Chernovich being pretty awful. Do- a quote tweeted it was it with, Chernovich, hey, doc singer journalist. Yeah. Hey, at Disney, here's your guy. What an inspiration to humanity. Yeah. Yeah, there so was also a fantastic you don't reply know how that, much of the was, cast sorry. do agree with that as well. You know, so you don't know how many of the cast members feel as strongly as Batista, and yeah. you could have you you know you you can have you could have cast members who have been fairly amenable in the past in terms of stuff that might be slightly outside the remit of their contract or. You know, just turning up and giving a movie everything, saying, "Yeah, I'm going to turn up. I'll be in your movie. I'm not going to give a shit about it." Um, because I mean, some of them. I mean, I, I imagine Chris Pratt is, is probably going. I'm doing. I'm doing all right elsewhere, Disney. Mm. Quite. It, it, there, so, there is an element of yeah. Do do Disney need them more than than they need to do that film in a hurry right now? Or or equally, could could Disney try and restructure the lead into that story in their other movies and actually show a film that features a very different Guardians of the Galaxy cast. I mean, the only way, the way I see it working is they're going to sit down with the cast and be like, who do you guys want if not James Gunn? Because like, whoever they pick has to get that cast entirely on board. And I would say, you can't really tell who's, you know, going to be like, whatever, it's just a job and who's going to be like, well, it's not a job I need. 
but I would yeah. say there's a there's a fairly good chance that maybe half that cast are just going to be like, well, you know, you fucked yeah. over my friend. I'm not interested in being in it beyond the contractual minimum. And then obviously this going into hiatus puts the production on pause. All of the staff who had been, you know, all the production staff who'd been hired have been let go so they can pretty much you know start from scratch in that regard as well and you know they i would imagine at this stage they're just going to rewrite the script because it's going to be directed by chris pratt isn't it that's where we're heading (laughs) (laughs) it's going to be like star trek 5 well there are actual rumors now about taika waititi talking to marvel about a non-thor project so (laughs) we'll we'll see whether there's any credence to that um We'll move on now, though. It's a couple of little bits of TV news. Uh, this one just put a little smile on my face. Brendan Fraser is going to be voicing Robot Man in Doom Patrol. <laughs> um, I, I, to begin with, I thought he was going to be starring in it, and I was like, "Oh, hello." Um, he's just providing a voice. Yeah. Um, but still, it's nice to see Brendan Fraser, especially with all that we've learned over the past few months about Brendan Fraser. It's nice to see his career kind of. Yeah. I, getting I, back on track. I still feel like there's a place for for Brett. Like a, I feel like there's a better place for Brendan Fraser in a superhero franchise somewhere. Um, I really think he he could. You just know, like we were talking about the you know Tom Cruise playing an older Green Lantern or, or that kind of thing. That kind of role um, or what well, Jude Law is going to be doing in Captain Marvel. I, I feel like he could do something like that. But it is nice to see. There's no doubt. Even yeah. though it's only a voice, it, it's nice to see. Anything for Brendan Fraser that doesn't involve him doing his own stunts, I think we've we've learned that that is that is a prerequisite. But yeah, uh, hey, what about what about playing like a suit in a in like a Deadpool or a Ant Man <laughs> kind of movie? Yeah, let's let's have him as an as some kind of agent of former agent of Shield or something. I would, uh, yeah. I would be happy to see Brandon Fraser making that kind of comeback. Um, and then the very last piece of news, uh, save the best to last, Watchmen has been ordered to series by HBO. It's coming in 2019 <laughs> in its entirety. <laughs> <laughs> Which I saw someone on Twitter say, as a tagline, that rather feels like a threat. <laughs> it also, I, I saw that and I was like, oh, they're directly trolling Seven James now. Fantastic. I mean, more James than me, but yeah. <laughs> but still a little bit. <laughs> Okay, uh, we did, James, anything you want to say about that? Just everyone involved can drop dead as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> okay, uh, we'll move on now to our spoiler-filled discussion of Dippy's 1997 movie, Spawn. Let's take a listen to something from the movie. Imagine a substance with the power to destroy humanity. Imagine a creature insane enough to use it. Imagine a hero on the verge of creation. From flesh to steel. You must visualize your objective. From blood to blade. Don't get cocky. You have a lot more to learn. From man to spawn. Peekaboo. I see you. We have harvested 
perfected the ultimate weapon. Makes the Ebola virus look like a skin rash. Compared to Freakalations, I say destroy the cosmos, ask questions later. Who are you? This is just what they want. You're playing their game. Then I'll play dirty. Okay. Spawn. Right. Wow. Can I, can I start with a question? Why? What did, what did we ever do to you, Joe? <laughs> well, we had to cover it at some point. <laughs> no, we didn't. I was very keen to rewatch this, to be fair. you Hang on. You've seen it before, and you were keen to watch it again. I, okay, here is my full disclosure. I saw it in 1998 <laughs> on two bootleg VCDs. <laughs> so I've never really watched it properly. I, I think so, that yes, sounds I was like keen probably to the best it. way to watch this film. <laughs> it seems I mean, like the way they least, intended it to be watched. Well, yeah, right? I was gonna, yeah at, at least like the visuals and the effects would yeah. have been in a suitable resolution. <laughs> at very low resolution <laughs> with Hong Kong <laughs> subtitles over the top. Yeah. Right, so yeah. let's let's tell our listeners who <laughs> might not be familiar with Spawn what is going on with Spawn. So, released in 1997, directed by Mark A.Z. Dippe, um, he had been a visual effects guy who'd worked on Back to the Future 2, Terminator 2, Jurassic Park. So, you know, like quite successful visual effects movies. Um, and off the back of that, I presume, had landed this gig to direct Spawn. Um, it's based on the Todd McFarlane comic, which I believe, guys, Spawn is pretty much what allowed Image to become a viable company, right? Spawn was their big runaway success. Um, it was probably the biggest success, but what allowed them to become a viable company was what the people who founded it had done previously. I was going to say, what because... allowed them, what allowed it to be a viable company was the fact that the market had gone fucking insane and they launched yeah. into a, a speculating, you know, a speculator's world where people were like, Oh, let's buy ten million copies of this comic. I mean, let's for. I mean, I think it. I think it's worth not least because I think one of the most interesting things about doing Spawn is being able to talk about this part of comics history. So, like, mm-hmm. in case there's anyone who doesn't know, I think it is worth briefly summarising where this came from and and what was going on. So, which is essentially that in the kind of at the tail end of the eighties and in the early nineties, you had. Um, a, a rising wave of superstar artists at Marvel who were, and let's be fair to them, while they were mostly shite, um, were selling shitloads of comics by virtue of their art style and their Yeah, name. it wasn't like, I wouldn't say it's that they were shite. It's well, that they, all right, uh, Rob Liefeld you know, was shite. <laughs> there are th- well, there are things, okay, this is the thing though, right? There are things about their art that was clearly unconventional, but also there was something people were responding to. Yeah. And I think it was like the energy and the exaggeration. And while mm. they didn't necessarily have good fundamentals, people liked the look <laughs> of the comics. So you, and I'm going to throw this out have... there. Spawn, Spawn is over-the-top character design, but it's there's something inherently pretty cool about I it. I mean, it, it, yeah, and it is totally... It's <laughs> cool. an, it's I think an cool is the word, right? Cool is... <laughs> 
cool yeah. is what they were going for. It's it's certainly what they were how they would like to be described. Spawn is an evolution of Tom, of what Todd McFarlane was doing on on Spider Man um, mm-hmm. when he became a superstar, and I think. Even notwithstanding Jim Lee of the the Marvel slash Image to um, artists, and we're talking here about Todd McFarlane, uh, Jim Lee, Rob Liefeld, Mark Silvestri, and who have I forgotten? James, Val- Jim Valentino. Um, Jim Valentino. Yeah. Oh, oh, Wilch Portaccio. Eric Larson. And Eric Larson. Yeah. Um, they had all pretty much. I think all had made their names at Marvel, um, and they all became massively successful at Marvel, and and. Uh, feeling undervalued by Marvel, uh, left to form their own company, uh, which was Image. Uh, and, you know, ironically, if you've read an Image book in the last 10, 15 years, the ethos at Image was that that the artist is king and, and the art is what's most important. Yeah, in fact, I, I think else. it might even have been Image who were the first to do what what we call full full bleed pages, mm. which is that the art goes all the way up to the, the edge of the page. Yeah, as opposed right. to having um, giant margins, so that was kind of their thing. Was like, but, but this is all about how it looks. But what? So what I was going to say about McFarlane is, I mean, as I say, notwithstanding Jim Lee, who I think now, like, if you look at their careers at whole, Jim Lee is unquestionably the most successful of of those creators. Yeah, and also, who, time, to be fair, he was also the best of them at the yes. time. <laughs> I mean, although I, I think Jim, I think Jim Lee in the early two thousands is when he hit his peak. You might disagree, James, as an X Men fan, but <laughs> I think Jim Lee was at his best drawing Batman and Superman in the early two thousands compared with his X Men work. Anyway, but McFarlane was the biggest of of this group of superstars. McFarlane was the big one because. And I, I think I'm not the biggest fan of his style, but I think, you know, he came along on Spider-Man, in on Amazing Spider-Man in the late 80s. He didn't create Venom, but he turned Venom into... Uh, well, did he actually co-create the design of it? As in, did he draw Venom's first appearance? He didn't create the black costume or anything, but he was... Um, no, maybe he was actually co-creator of Venom. Uh, anyway, I think was, I think that's a tough that's a tough thing for Marvel's lawyers to figure out. It's a, it's a tricky one to even. untangle. Yeah, I don't think he created him, but he was the first to draw him. The point was is that he came along and he genuinely drew Spider Man in a way that he'd never been drawn before, and it just blew people's minds. And it made him the biggest name in comics, and it meant that you know he was in a position to go on and do whatever he wanted next and he was a superstar artist who people would follow and yeah, as i say in like fact, the style is is not really to my taste but you can't deny that at what he was doing there's that period maybe not at the very start of his spider-man work but around the time up until him leaving and when he got his own spider-man series that he got to write and draw which was the adjectiveless spider-man series like you know okay the writing was terrible but he he was at you know, a peak of form and and doing something that people responded to in a huge, huge way. I mean, I I would say even like if you've ever read a Spider-Man comic and thought that guy's eyes are too big for his head, that's because of (laughs) McFarlane. Yeah, he did that. And what was it then that defined the art? Well, Well, so he he, what he did with Spider-Man was I think he was really the first artist to draw Spider-Man in poses and shapes that just don't look natural they don't look yeah, like a it was really like costume. exaggerated and yeah you know uh like energetic he would like distort him so like his his legs were like folding up around his head and stuff it just it was it was the kind of art where they just went i know this isn't anatomically possible but it looks cool yeah and it, and and it, it, it defined it was the look of, of the like character for a good and stuff as well yeah for like a good 10 years mm. Even even up to today, you will see Spider-Man doing things and go, well, that was McFarlane. 
Yeah. So he goes and creates Spawn at Image, and there's something a bit Spider-Man-y in the appearance of Spawn. Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just a little bit. I mean, I mean it, it's so funny, isn't it? To say he's he's Spider-Man uh, with a cape. Because <laughs> and a like bit of the, Ghost Rider. the look of spy, the look of of Spawn and Spider-Man is very similar, but the the background of the characters is completely different. Yeah. So, the movie. <laughs> it's funny. I, uh, I I couldn't subject myself to too many of the special features on the on the Spawn disc. But um, I did start watching this uh, this like making of, which was one of those classic '90s ones where like Michael Jai White, who plays Spawn in this movie, walks towards the camera and, he, and he's going, "Imagine a world where a, this guy and this thing." Hi, I'm Michael Jai White, and I'm going to take you behind the scenes of Spawn. And then like it was lots of talking heads, and Michael Jai White started trying to talk through the plot and then Martin Sheen was trying to talk through his bits of the plot and I was like holy shit this is this is complicated this this feels for like a superhero origin feels needlessly complicated and the movie it doesn't ever feel like aside from that we we can get into all of the the other stuff that define why this movie is bad but it doesn't feel like it ever like just tells a clean story. I I, I couldn't walk out of Spawn and tell you this is that guy's <laughs> deal. Yeah, which feels like a problem. So, shall I quickly do what Spawn's deal is? At least in the comics, give us his deal. So he's he's an assassin for the CIA who who gets essentially betrayed by his superiors and killed. And because mm-hmm. he's an you know an assassin who kills people for a living, he gets sent to hell. And in hell, he gets offered a deal by you know the the knockoff Satan to lead the armies of hell in exchange for having his life back. Um, so he takes that deal, becomes the Hellspawn, gets sent back to Earth. But it turns out when he get when he gets back to Earth, he's been gone like five years. And his plan to go back to Earth and see his wife again has been scuppered by the fact that she's married someone else. And so he's now in the thrall of, of the, you know, this version of the devil, Malbogia, um, and caught in between a war between heaven and hell. Which, I, I, which is he in this movie? Because it, does, it doesn't really <laughs> feel like he's ever actually they in sort the of say, of hell. Yeah, they sort of say like, oh, you will lead the armies of hell. And he's like, ah, oh, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, one I of the know. one of the things I don't want to go too deep into the movie while we're st- just starting out, but the, one of the things I find really hilarious in this film is that they gloss over the the big character moment of you can see your wife again, but you have to make this terrible deal. And in the movie, <laughs> the first time it happens, they skip it. Yeah, it's and a when they show it, it, yeah, and it takes about two seconds. He just goes. Um, Welcome to hell. Do you want to lead my armies to see your wife again? He goes, sure. And then he goes back. Can I Can I just sort of, be, be, before we go on to actually talking about the movie, just sort of as well, fill in a couple of slightly interesting things about Spawn the comic that, that I think are, are worth noting. Well, one of which, mm. because it does kind of relate to the movie. Um, one is that um, in its early run, um, it had uh, Alan Moore, Neil Gaiman, 
uh, Frank Miller and Grant Morrison writing issues. Yeah, because Todd McFarlane realised that he wasn't a great writer, so he went. Or rather, well, people gonna... said people said he, but whether he realised it or whether just I, th- said I think it to be fair, he knew, <laughs> right? He knew, so he went. Well, I'm going to yeah. draw it, but I'm going to get the biggest writers in the industry to come and come and write Spawn for me. Yeah, and Neil, Neil one Neil Gaiman created a character who appears in this movie. Uh, which, as as I mused on Twitter last night, this makes the, <laughs> it, this makes this film the first film to feature a Neil Gaiman character in it. Um, that would then lead to uh, the almighty ongoing lawsuit that ultimately led to Miracle Man becoming a Marvel comic and Angela, who was originally from Spawn, becoming a Marvel Comics character. Uh, but maybe we'll get into that stuff later. But the other thing that I think is worth noting, because I think it's something that people don't necessarily realise is that Spawn has been published continuously since 1992 and is still going now. Yeah, I was going to make this point. Like, of of pretty much any character... but... (laughs) (laughs) Like, of any character who who was created by those guys, Spawn is undoubtedly the one who has endured. Well, and and Savage Dragon's still going, isn't it? True, yeah, but, like, maybe one issue a year or something. Like... (laughs) The thing, the thing that like you have to give Todd McFarlane credit for, is that he has kept Spawn going for longer than, you know, pretty much any non-Marvel DC comic. Mm. I mean, he and dropped along, off along actually the... doing it for a while, but he writes it again now. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. I think and you can see the parallels with, for me anyway, um, The Walking Dead and bringing Kirkman yeah. into that company and making him such an instrumental figure in that company. Yeah, because... exactly. Like, he feels like he fits the same kind of mindset and the same kind of commercial mindset that McFarlane feels as well. Because it's not, I said this to you um, off mic, James, but Stanley aside, is is Todd McFarlane like the most successful businessman it, it, to come um, out of comics? I would say no, because while he made a lot of money, he's also lost a lot of money, <laughs> either through spurious purchases failed ventures or lawsuits um like he got sued for millions by a hockey player because he based a mobster on him um (laughs) tony twist Um, he didn't base a mobster on him he named a mobster after him which like i to be fair i am on mcfarlane's side mcfarlane's side with that one life is full of what ifs some awesome like what if ai could fold your laundry and some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. 
Get started today at plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. plushcare.com slash weightloss. I think he named the a character in homage to a hockey player. And the hockey player was like, well, you're defaming me by I... having this character have a similar mm. name to me. I, I I think I think if if it's obvious that you've uh, that it's a homage to the person, the person is entitled to see that as defamation. Uh, to well, be honest, but. the hockey the hockey guy's name was something like Tony Twisterelli or something, wasn't it? And the <laughs> the character was just called Tony Twist. Like, listen, mm. this is a this is a rabbit hole. <laughs> he's he's had like obviously his toys line is very successful. Um, was and, very successful. Well, yeah, I guess. Um, <laughs> And, you know, the reason that it is relevant to talk about the 1997 Spawn now on the podcast is that there is another Spawn movie coming and McFarlane himself is going to be directing it, which is just fascinating to me. Yeah. The fact, I mean, that, he, the th- the fact that he's kind of ridden... I, I think that it's probably been long enough that I don't think when Spawn is released, many people will be talking about this movie. No, In sure. fact, I think it's probably similar to like the Matt Salinger Captain America and the Chris Evans Captain America that's kind of a similar amount of time has passed and we just, you know... I mean, the, th- it, it, the thing... This movie is such a relic. You could tell me that it had been made... Well, the fact, <laughs> that it has, the fact that it has CG in it dates it to a certain time at the very yeah. least. But, you know, just just reminded for everyone, this movie came out two years before The Matrix. <laughs> I I just think it is, is definitely worth pointing out that, like, whether you love him or hate him or whether you like his work or dislike his work... The, you cannot fault Tog McFarlane for being one of the few people to create a comic that has become a media franchise and he still owns it. Like, he, we're literally talking like The Walking Dead, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and Spawn are like the big three that have mm. you know, coped with that. And like, if he wants to, you know, take this character he sketched in 1994 or whenever it was and, you know, 20 years later, 25 years later, he is directing a big budget movie based on that. Like that is the, that's the dream, right? Hmm. Like he's living, he's properly living it. And whether you think he deserves it or whatever, you know, and it, and, he is you proof know. that it's possible if nothing else. And he and, and Spawn Spawn One is still the biggest ever selling independent comic book ever. <laughs> and probably will, always will likely will be. stay that way. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So the movie itself, um, well, I, I I think let's let's, let's work through <laughs> it vaguely chronologically, just because the start is the best bit, um, <laughs> and um, and we'll get into kind of how much of this comes from the comics because I gather a lot, but actually watching it, I didn't think that it would be a lot because surely this is not in the comics as well, um, <laughs> but we'll we'll get to it. So. As I said, Mark A.Z. DePay had come from the world of visual effects and kind of this is like CG is kind of in its infancy in the late 80s, early 90s. It starts to be kind of incorporated alongside practical effects. And, you know, we're not massively outside of that era now. Uh, Men in Black was released in the same year as this, which obviously is kind of a mix of the CG and practical effects. And we noted on that podcast that the practical effects are kind of more believable and impressive in that movie 
Um, but then, you know, you've got movies like, um, I'm just looking at, that, that came out this year, Titanic, Tomorrow Never Dies, um, Face Off, uh, the the great CG movie that was Flubber. Um, <laughs> we're not we're not quite there yet in terms of visual effects. No, um, I find it quite interesting that this that this film. I read that this film was talked about in terms of its effects at the time as being well, it's a mess, but in some quarters people were saying, well, but it has pretty good visual effects because. <laughs> I mean, I can't speak to how you would have watched this in the, at the time when you've not really seen stuff like this before. But, mm. I mean, you watch it now and it, it's a it's a horror show. It is, it is one of the ugliest movies that I've ever seen. And I've heard people make the argument that, you know, like, in 50 years people will go back and watch Pixar movies and you'll be like, oh, God, no. Oh, no, because I think because there's craft, and you know, Jurassic Park. Okay, much bigger budget, but Jurassic Park came out four years before this film, and has some CGI in it and some practical effects. And I still think now, maybe not everybody would agree with me, but I still think now, if you go back and watch Jurassic Park, almost every effect shot holds up. And yes, it's a Steven Spielberg film and had an enormous budget, and so we are talking about different levels of things, but. Just being old doesn't mean that, yeah, that, no. that the effects that, I mean, in a the film same, were unconvincing. The same is true of Terminator 2, which if you watch that movie now, yeah, there that, are maybe well, like the... three or four shots in the whole film where you go, oh, that looks a bit ropey now. Mm. Mm. Which this guy worked on. Exactly. <laughs> and whereas you wish... watch Spawn and it looks like the kind of stuff that was on YouTube in its infancy, like the <laughs> editing is bad, the compositing is bad, like it just it looks amateurish. I mean, it, it it's a TV movie. It looks so much like a TV movie, not just in terms of the effects, but in terms of things like the wipes between scenes mm-hmm. that have like the burning cape thing. <laughs> to, to well, when you say TV movie, kind of like a, a sci-fi movie, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, like like a Sharknado-y kind of thing. Yeah, yeah exactly. and I mean, I it, it was in reference to one specific moment, which I'll, I'll save the specifics of the moment until we come to it, but. Um, I said I said on Twitter that I genuinely wouldn't be surprised if you told me that Tommy Wiseau directed this movie. Like, <laughs> that's how incompetent I just think. It's not just about the effects, although the effects are terrible, but I also just think from a, a basic craft point of view in terms of the construction and the direction and the way the film is put together and the script, it's just there is no... The only people involved in this film who seem to have any ability at their job are some of the actors i mean i some in fairness like okay. michael j white and martin sheen and i feel Nicole i Williams feel like i'm gonna say, <laughs> i feel like i'm gonna say in fairness a lot in this but the thing the thing in this movie that i went yeah they got that right is the look of spawn himself like i think that is as close a, a version of Spawn as you can ever do on screen. I would, except they they seem to spend an awful lot of time having him not, like, in his mask, yeah. which is the iconic... Like, I had no idea before this film what Spawn was supposed to look like underneath his mask. <laughs> but he either. spends 
most of this film without the mask on, even though the mask is like the iconic bit of imagery. Yeah, about they, it. yeah and but movies like, used, this used is to not be terrified of that kind of thing, yeah, didn't but they? they? But, That's... But like, you know, in, in the 95 Judge Dredd, I understand why they have to have Sylvester Stallone take his helmet off, even though it's not a creative decision I agree with. I appreciate that if you've cast Sylvester Stallone as Judge Dredd, you've got to show his face. I mean, you know, and I one of the things that's great about 2012 Dredd is that Carl Urban didn't do that. But in this, Michael J. White is not that famous. And and also, he's <laughs> under heavy makeup anyway. I don't see why we need to see that face for well, so much of this stuff. Just... Except if it's that they couldn't afford to have the CGI, because I don't think there's ever a practical mask on him. So... I, I think it's just the it's the worry you're going to end up with like the Power Rangers Spider-Man, you know, Raimi Spider-Man rooftop scene of people emoting at each other without any animation to back it up. That would imply that anybody in this film ever emotes. <laughs> but I can see what led to that decision. I just think it's a really bad decision. <laughs> I, undoubtedly. Yeah, I, I can because when you actually do see Spawn, you're like, oh, Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's it's so over the top, and and like uh, just because of what you guys have kind of told me over the over the past three and a half years of this podcast about nineties comics, I totally see all of the like it's a cool design, and then they've thrown all of this stuff on top of it. So like, what if he has spikes coming out of here and chains? Yeah. What if there are chains? And then what if what, what if, if has the a cape, cape the size of a football pitch? Yes, <laughs> but I, I I at least appreciate. I think that the the film just goes, yeah, he's got this ridiculous, massive, unrealistic cape, and we're just gonna have it that like, it's hard to deny that when they are doing that CGI cape, it looks like a Todd McFarlane drawing. Yeah, definitely. But they yeah. do it about three times in the film. <laughs> that bit where he jumps from the ceiling and it like spreads out across the whole room. Yeah, that was. Yeah, I was looking shot, at that going right like, at the end of the movie. That is pure McFarlane. Yeah. Can we talk about the title sequence, though? <laughs> yes. So, so I mean, set to... Set, the, the whole mu- movie is set to this soundtrack of, like... It's not quite new metal, is it? It's just, like, pre-electronic, like, pre-new metal electronica. It's like you've got you've got well there's I mean on on the soundtrack you've got like you've got Marilyn Manson you've got Marilyn Manson collaborating with Sneaker Pimps. Uh you've got Corn and the Dust Brothers, Butthole Surfers and Moby, Metallica and DJ Spooky, Manson and 808 States. Yeah, so it is it is mostly <laughs> Silverchair like... are on there, the Prodigy are on there, Slayer and Atari Teenage Riot. <laughs> yeah, it is mostly like combinations of metal bands and Sort of and dance electronic, electronic yeah, it's a, at least there is a concept behind the yeah. soundtrack <laughs> yeah but you combine it with the visuals <laughs> and i like I, 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 I this is not a lie 10 minutes into the movie i went and grabbed a packet of paracetamol because <laughs> i was just like i don't think i can cope i like my head started hurting watching this title sequence which opens with this like you're like barreling down this tube of fire which looks like a Windows 95 screensaver <laughs> that you're like oh eventually you know eventually we're going to turn this way and it's all going to flip or um, oh, do you know what the other, what's the other thing that it reminded me of do you remember like um, I think they probably still exist but all of your media players in your computer like early Windows media player or real player which was the one mm-hmm. that I used to use a lot and you'd get those like you could click and like there would be like some some visuals that would move along with the music. I mean, yeah. this is oh yeah, this is the, vis- the visualizers, yeah, the when, visualizer. 
When James was saying about watching this film on a VCD and I said that was the most appropriate thing, it's because if there is one word more than anything else that I would use to describe this film, it's CD-ROM. <laughs> <laughs> the thing I like is that all the... Um, because of like the, the sort of energy, like his superpower energy is like green. Lots of stuff has like a weird <laughs> ghosty green outline. But that has the effect of making it look like it's been poorly green screened rather than like properly CGI'd. <laughs> but also like in, in that title sequence, and the same is true in the, the closing credits as well, you can't actually read most <laughs> no. of the names because they put this blurry, <laughs> oh. shadowing, like multiple uh, imprint echo, whatever you want to call it, effect on it. But none, so of the, none of the iterations of the letters are actually fully clear, so you just can't <laughs> read them. And also, you've got, right, uh, I've got no context for this movie coming in. And there's this fire tube, and then there's fire everywhere, and then there's a, a dove flying over it. And then there's, here is Martin Sheen, and then here's this weird hell beast, and then here's this weird fat clown, and what, sorry, what is going on? And then it's got into, like, stock footage of stuff, and then we're back in the tube, and then there's crows, and then, like, hell people, and I'm like, what? What is happening? <laughs> Why does my head hurt this badly? And, and oh, I, it's it's so oppressive. I've put it on the TV in the background now. That's why I'm getting so worked up <laughs> to remind myself what it looked like. And it genuinely, honestly, it makes me very uneasy. There is like, it is like you, it's the kind if of if you film. played that to if you played that like you could play that to. Um, Alex in a Clockwork Orange, and it would have like it would have done the job in half the time. I think <laughs> it's like it reminds me of the kind of film that you know back when TV was actually linear and you couldn't really choose what you watched. You just switched on the TV <laughs> and it was on. And this would have been something that would have been yeah. on at like eleven o'clock at night. Not even that, like three a.m. You would have switched <laughs> this on at three a.m. Like half asleep, just being like, "What the fuck am I watching?" And it would have been some like low budget early nineties horror movie. That, that, that you'd was never how heard I, of. That was how I first saw... I'd heard of it before, but that was how I first watched the uh, Alex Winter film, Freaked. And it was one of the most joyous movie experiences of my life, was like post-pub at about two o'clock in the morning, seeing that on TV and, and fell in love with it. This this was not that experience. That's how I first, I first watched, I think, Akira. was like yeah. switching Akira on the back half. Yeah, switching on the back half in the middle night. of the night and being yeah. like, oh, this is cool. You would have had the opposite experience with this. You would have just been like, who made this and why? <laughs> this movie feels like it's got all of kind of the bad parts of the worst movies that we've talked about on this podcast before. Like there was there was stuff that was reminding me of like Nick Fury or <laughs> the pu- the Punisher or mm. I, I don't know, just all no, like Generation I, X, just like that, just like naff parts of them. There's a lot that made me think of like stuff like you know the the bad CG in Howard the Duck. Uh, although you know, yes. how the um, yeah, the kind of the the grim and gritty, the attempts at grim and gritty of things like Punisher, and even the complete lack of moral positivity from the hero of Amazing Spider-Man Two, um, <laughs> and this somehow manages to come out as being worse than all of them. Um, like I, you know, we we I think it's well known that having seen them and discussed them we have a certain level of fondness for both Howard the Duck and, and particularly the Punisher on this podcast. And and even Nick Fury to an extent. Yeah, I think, I think all of those have got, to at least some degree, a charm in there somewhere that this film just doesn't have. <laughs> to be fair, because <laughs> I think there's a really interesting... Again. 
<laughs> you did. I think there's a really interesting comparison point with this film and a film that we'll probably get to covering eventually, which is Steel, which is the other 1997 incredibly poorly regarded superhero movie um, with a black lead actor, um, you know, that is just an absolute catastrophe of a film. And I think in some ways Steel is... Um, from a craft point of view, an even worse film than this. Um, like oh, you know, wow. where whereas this film has at least got uh, Martin Sheen, Steele has got Judd Nelson <laughs> in the same role, um, and also Michael J. White is a much much better actor than Shaquille O'Neal. But I think I'd rather watch Steele again than this because Steele has at least got a bit of likability about it. See, I like part of me respects this movie for being sort of creatively pure. In that they just went, we're going to make a film which is as much like the comic as we can physically be. And it, like, it's it's crap. No one is denying that it's crap. But also, it is what it was trying to be. And I'm, I'm kind of charmed by it on that level. <laughs> like, the fact that, it, I mean- the fact that it seems like someone took a sort of a, a metal album and tried to make it into a movie. I mean, I, I was, I was confused all the way through this movie. But I wasn't like, I wasn't disengaged. I like, I, I always felt like I was a step behind what it wanted me to be taken away from it a scene. It certainly assumes that you know something that you don't constantly. At every, at every moment, yeah. yeah. And uh, so, you can tell me whether this is anything different to the comics. Um, I don't know if but... I can actually. <laughs> yeah, we can try. But it's good. Well, it has to do with the, the kind of the core concept of Spawn and of Al Simmons, his alter ego. Um, there's no one in this movie that I latched onto as likable in any way, and I think that Michael J. White, I'm I, I'm confident saying this, gives the best performance in this movie. Mm. Uh, but like, there was no point where I ever like had any sympathy for him that I was ever rooting for him because he seems like a bastard from the start really like well, yeah he's a CIA he doesn't, assassin. He doesn't, yeah and and like but it feels like the movie maybe is trying to sell me on this is why I want to know whether it's similar to the comics like that there is maybe this redeemable feature to him that he thinks he's only killing bad guys even if he hasn't been and he wants out of the game but like it feels so lackluster in the execution. Like he turns up to Sheen and goes, "Oh, I want out." And then Sheen goes, "No, you're gonna have to come on this mission." He goes, "Okay." <laughs> like, what? so is is there is there in this character's conception? Like, I guess is he more like is is there anything to him that's more like Ghost Rider? Because Ghost Rider, it feels to me like has made this one. He's made this pact with the devil. And he's embraced that pact to an extent, but wants to be a good guy. Do you know, I I don't know that the, like Ghost Rider, which all I really know of him is the movies. Maybe it's the story of Nick Cage, but feels like an inherently you you feel for that guy and you you see what has driven him to make that yeah, deal. Yeah, I mean he. Whereas he's... whereas I'm not gonna lie, Wanda is not enough. <laughs> he is supposed because to also in... Wanda doesn't seem like a great person. No. <laughs> In the comics, he is a bit more tragic than than in the movies. He's still a CIA black ops guy, 
but like there's a there's a point about al simmons is that he the reason he got promoted was because he saved the president from an assassination attempt and like there are things later on in in spawn they revisit and they say like actually when he became spawn he got some amnesia and it turned out he was a bit of a shit when he was alive and like he i think i could be wrong i think he gets to a point where he disassociates himself from al simmons completely and he's like well you know I was Al Simmons before I died, but I'm not that guy anymore. But I could I could even buy into that if that was what the film presented, which is that he was a shit when he was at Al Simmons and he goes on this kind of redemptive arc. I, I don't maybe that maybe that is here, but I just I, I, felt, that, I mean no, that I, wasn't that wasn't in the comics by the time the movie came out, <laughs> so it's not what they were yeah. going for at all here. I think the thing about that is as well, because I, I spent a lot of this film just looking at it going, okay, it is it's based on a comic and it's about a guy in a cape but this is not a superhero movie no absolutely and, not and by the end of the film he has technically saved the world <laughs> because <laughs> because martin sheen was going to unleash a virus a virus that would kill uh, most of the world's population <laughs> but that seems entirely incidental to anything that he was setting out to do over the course of this film. The only reason that he saved the world is that for personal reasons, he's killed the guy who was threatening the <laughs> <Yeah>. world. <laughs> I, you know, I just think you, you cannot call him a superhero. You can't call this a superhero movie. And I still, I still feel kind of like not really caught up on what was going on with him being like an emissary of hell and taking on heaven because it doesn't feel like the movie ever really gets there. I think no, the, the heaven stuff it all happens off. It, yeah. There are two occasions where his dealings with hell and what's supposed to happen are told to you in flashbacks. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'll be honest with you. I've no fucking idea what Cogliostro was had to do with any of this. <laughs> But he's there watching for the first half and he's stood there next to Spawn for the second half and at one point has a ruck with Stripe from Gremlins. I, but- I, I get the impression, and and from reading about it and from reading about the character, that, it, that Cogliostro is kind of the opposite of the clown character in that they are they are the two sides of they're supposed to be like a mentor, they're being a mentor to him, but the clown is trying to get him to be evil and Cogliostro is trying to get him to be good. Yeah, Cogliostro uh, was even, a, was a gaming character. He he's the he's the Neil Gaiman character. Yeah. yeah. Well, what but about even Angela? The... Angela's in the movie too. Is she? Yeah, for one shot. I didn't know that actually. There you go. <laughs> now you do. Where is where is she, Jane? She's at the party. She's wearing green. It was a cameo intended to set up the sequel. <laughs> oh right, okay. But it, right, so that, even that the reminds clown... me of what is probably the biggest change that the film makes from the comic, which is that I'm aware of, which is that. The pre the character priest who kills him, mm. um, she's not from the comics, but was later folded into the comics. No, she's from Nick Fury, right? <laughs> <laughs> in in the comics, the person who kills Al Simmons is a, a Rob Liefeld character called Chapel, yeah, who was a member of Youngblood. But so they so they couldn't get the rights to him for the movie, so they created Priest for it instead, and then apparently the comics retconned Priest as being the person who killed him instead. <laughs> Okay, so you were talking about the clown there. That that even the clown, I couldn't really get a handle on. Well, no, because it's like who, what? Yeah, is, does he work just... for Malbogia or is he like 
working but against Malbogia. Why? It why seems like he's he... trying. He's just trying to screw everyone. Yeah, he's just setting up everybody against each other. Can I say, by the way, at this point, legitimately the worst character that has appeared in any movie ever? <laughs> like, I just, I just, any moment he was on screen, I wanted him to not be doing. He or did. Saying he does look anything. a bit like he was a kind of Clive Barker refugee, right? If he had been in Nightbreed, I'd have been like, sure. But he's not in Nightbreed. He's in sport. And I've I've got a lot of time for John Leguizamo, but <laughs> yeah, no one's yeah. got that not much time. <laughs> I mean, Leguizamo has made a lot of a lot of movies, yeah. and I feel like you can you can always rely on him to come up and kind of give it his all. He's giving it his all here, <laughs> but buddy, it's ch- it's ghastly. And it's lots of little. I mean, I know that what they're going for is to make him as annoying and unpleasant as possible. And I feel like, because I think it's interesting that this is a film that there is obviously a version, and I know there is a director's cut, and there's obviously a version of this film that that was intended to be an R rating, and then they went, oh shit, it's not going to make any money, we need to cut it to, to be a PG. And they've done it by cutting the violence, but they've tried to keep it edgy by leaving in all of his incredibly unpleasant gags and asides and just his like constant i'm not even going to call them innuendo because i don't think they are innuendo. i think there's no double meaning to <laughs> all of his kind of sexual gags and they're just like i just want him to fuck off whenever well, he, he feels kind of like the epitome of everything that is tonally weird yeah about this movie the facts that they're cutting from those like from wanting him to be like a creepy Tim Curry-esque clown to <laughs> to being like this gross out, oh, he's eating pizza with maggots on it. <laughs> and then like weird like Jim Carrey stuff with like, oh, now he's like the mask and he's in cheerleader gear doing... Oh, God. Which is one of the worst moments in any movie ever. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's... It, he, uh, what they were trying to get with that character feels all over the place. And so any time he turns up, it feels like tonally you don't, the movie doesn't know where it wants to be. Like, does it want to be this hammy kind of silly thing? Or does it want to be this very like furrowed brow, serious, dark superhero thing? Because I feel like that's the movie that Michael J. White is in. (laughs) And, and like you've got Melinda Clark and Martin Sheen in a Nick Fury-esque movie, and then you've got Leguizamo in a knockabout comedy. But like a, a yeah, kind of an, a, an R-rated trying to be edgy knockabout comedy. <laughs> and they just, and and they never fit, and then you've got the CG on top of that, and it's just, <laughs> it's just a headache. That's why I just made that, it is just a headache of a movie. Um, I did want to get back to, to, to Martin Sheen, because he kind of is, in a lot of the early part of this, he had, he, he plays a big part I've, in the. I've kind never of first seen a movie where minutes. Martin Sheen was playing Charlie Sheen before. It's fascinating. <laughs> I guys, I know the name might lend this movie a degree of legitimacy, <laughs> but Sheen's horrible in this. No, I mean, I, there is a part of me that actually, yeah, based on his performance. I mean, I think he's having fun, but based on his performance and based on his hair. Are we sure that Charlie Sheen didn't turn up <laughs> under his dad's name? Because he it is much more like a Charlie Sheen performance than a Martin Sheen. What, what is what is going on with the hair and the beard? Because Sheen's hair and beard at that 
at that time in his life, I do not no. believe were that no, good. No, absolutely I mean, not. we are only a couple of years away from the West Wing starting, aren't we? What was the shoe polish budget on this movie? <laughs> did they waste it all on his head and face? <laughs> it's almost like he went, just make sure no one recognises me. <laughs> I, I'll be honest, I, I kind of like my knowledge of Sheen's career isn't fantastic in between like Apocalypse Now and uh, and and um, uh, West Wing. So I, I, yeah, I've just Googled I don't really know. Has, 1997 he... and I found a picture of him being arrested during a 1997 protest outside a strawberry packing plant and he's got grey hair and a grey moustache. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, his, I, I, his performance... I think he's horrible in this. His performance <laughs> kind really of awful. reminds me of those, like, shitty Cinemax movies that used to be on Channel 5 that yeah. you were just like, oh, watch this because some woman's probably going to take her top off at some point. <laughs> <laughs> it does feel like it should be in that genre, right? The, the, the like, schlock horror yeah. exploitation genre, but it's it's not quite got enough exploitation in it for that. <laughs> I find it hard to be too critical of Martin Sheen in this because I, I I find it hard to be critical of Martin Sheen generally because he's a he's a pretty awesome human being generally and like uh, I think he's having <laughs> he's enough probably not a great parent. Well, no, you can, he can't be blamed for the fact that his son's a dickhead, but he's <laughs> you know poli- politically he's you know. How's um, Emilio Estevez never went on, off the wagon, did he? No, true. Yeah. Um, but no, I just, I. I I think he's allowed to have a bit of fun with this, but yeah, it's not. Um, I mean, it, given that generally you would say Martin Sheen is a, a better actor than John Travolta, it's not John Travolta in The Punisher in terms of pitching it right, in terms of the ridiculous cheesiness. Yeah, no, yeah, to- totally agreed. I mean, The Punisher is a is a movie that doesn't work, but has things to like about. Yeah, I. I I could I could definitely recommend people watching bits of this movie because you've kind of got to see it to be believed. But but, but, but that there's comes nothing... back to the Tommy Wiseau thing because it's like the room. It's like you, you only want to see it to see how bad yeah, it is. Yeah, I mean, you don't Spawn, need to watch the whole thing. Spawn is that. definitely Spawn is definitely fun bad as opposed to just bad bad. Mm, I think. <sighs> For an hour and a half, exists, I don't think it, it is. exists. It exists in this weird hybrid of the two. I think. Yeah, I think I, if you I, were I watching you this showed... with the with a group of friends and you know possibly some alcohol if you're into that, <laughs> you would have a a fun time as opposed to us watching it on our own. I think you may need something stronger, James. Yeah, <laughs> I I would say that I think if you put together a ten minute highlight reel from this film and sat around and watched it, you'd have a good laugh. I think it's too boring for too much of its running time to, to be to be counted as fun. Incidentally, if you were putting together that 10-minute highlight reel, the bit that absolutely would be in it would be after Spawn has killed uh, Priest. Have we given up on going through chronologically, by the way? Um, ish, <laughs> the, film, the film gives up on having any kind of coherent <laughs> plot anyway. It, and the film doesn't tell its plot yeah, chronologically. Yeah, the film doesn't go chronologically, so, so why should um, we... After he's killed Priest, which in itself is a pretty, like, oh, that happened scene, um, she's being wheeled out by paramedics, and you get this exchange, which goes, what have we got here? Gunshot wound to the head. And then the guy puts his fingers to her neck and goes, well, she's dead. And that was the bit that was the bit that spurred me to write on Twitter that I, w- I would believe you if you told me this film was directed by Tommy Wiseau. Uh, oh, dear. That's a great yeah. moment as well, because she's like, you don't have that guts, and he just shoots her. <laughs> and he just shoots her. And he's like, oh, um, he did. 
e- what, every what, moment what about of dialogue him up to from... that point had convinced her that he didn't have <laughs> <Yes>. you know? <laughs> he's, like, he's you a literal hellspawn <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's a literal hellspawn and he used to be an assassin <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, I, I would also include in that highlights reel um, every moment of dialogue from Cyan, um, who, and I don't know if everyone will get this reference, but if anyone has seen the Comic Strip Presents film The Strike, which is uh, the one that's about Hollywood making a, an action blockbuster out of Arthur Scargill and the Miner Strike, uh, and Arthur Scargill is played by Al Pacino, <laughs> um, the scenes in that with uh, his daughter, and it, it, who is just this amazingly bad child actor performance every, every line because there's a bit towards the end where suddenly she has a load of dialogue and it is pitched exactly the same as the little girl in strike and that made me laugh uh, I, you might be the only person <laughs> I was gonna say you've gone pretty niche with that one <laughs> it's on all four go and watch it if you can get past the ads it's the best comic strip film <laughs> also i just just to go back like two minutes you know when all of that stuff about um, what's her name being shot in the head, <laughs> she gets shot in the stomach and fa- <laughs> and falls into a table with lots of like champagne glasses on, and then it cuts to her and she does still have like bullet wounds in her stomach, but now there's one in her head as well. Because yeah. <laughs> I was re- I was really confused at that point. I was like. Oh, there's now a bullet wound in her head, but that definitely never happened. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I spotted that as well. Because uh, he, yeah, he shoots her in the stomach with enough force to th- blow her off the balcony, like through the barrier, <laughs> and then there's a yeah. bullet wound in her head. It's not it's ideal. Just, it's, such a bad movie, you guys. Uh, yeah, the, I, I, I've just had it back up as well. The the, the transition from Al Simmons being killed. He literally goes down one of those hell tunnels and then shows back up like in the alleyway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And to begin with, I I, I don't you know about you guys. The alleyway was in hell. Yeah. Yeah. I thought I thought, oh, that's an interesting <laughs> choice for what hell will look like. <laughs> and then you realise it hasn't. But like <sighs> there is there is a merit to kind of sometimes keeping your audience slightly in the dark to <laughs> what the status quo is, so you can pull the rug out from under their feet. But that's not what this movie's trying I, to I, do. I would say that this movie has no interest in you ever understanding what's going on. That is, I think that is very fair. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, th- this is, it's quite funny because I watched that scene and I just knew, like, oh, he's in the, he's in Rat City now. Like, he's come back to Earth. <laughs> but that's because I know the comics. Like, if yeah. you if you don't know that, yeah, there's no way of telling until they do the but flashback then, that tells you. And so it's five years later, his partner, his FBI partner is now engaged to his, uh, was it his wife or his form, but whatever, whatever their relationship was, Wanda, who um, supposedly Al does everything for, but the movie gives us five ten seconds of them together at the start of the movie <laughs> yeah the rest that... is again all told in montage flashback well also when he's on fire and about to die he shouts wanda <laughs> and then he dies so you know she's important <laughs> yeah but so she she's now married to his former or is engaged to his former partner um 
And he kind of has, again, a, a scene that should be like this big scene where they reunite or, or where they like meet each other for the first time again. And he's kind of laid on the ground, inexplicably really not actually able to move, <laughs> just like clawing at her like this crazy hobo. And no one seems to quite grasp how, like, I'm just thinking, like, if that happened... If I walked out of my front door and a creepy hobo guy was like clawing out from the bushes <laughs> Shout at your my name. wife, I would be I would be really freaked out. If he had done that to like my four year old daughter, <laughs> <laughs> I would I would be having like a full blown panic attack. No yeah, one seems that concerned. They're weirdly but again, casual this... about the way they talk to him, aren't they? <laughs> but they are the same couple, I guess, who have hired the creepy clown as their clown for their daughter's birthday party. <laughs> so maybe it's fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. But no but no one in this movie behaves like a person. actual human beings. Yeah. No. Like I just I I kind of think that everyone is kind of bad and it's just that Michael J. White is making the best of a bad situation. My, Michael J. And, White has decided that he's playing a, a serious and important character and so puts that uh, into his performance. It's just that nothing else about the film or the material gives that impression. He, he's he got that from somewhere, but he hasn't got it from the script for this film. Yeah. So... You guys both think that Spawn on the page is bad, right? I can't say... I don't want to say bad because I've never really read any Spawn comics. I would say that the idea of Spawn and uh, everything about him has never appealed to me enough to want to read his comics. Hmm. I can't tell you if the comics are bad. They could be brilliant. I don't think they are. Because, uh, you know, I you know I think the fact that it's a surprise to people that it's still being published tells you a lot. What I would say, but does it, what, but does it sell? Does it sell still? I mean, no. it sounds enough to keep going. It it was for a time. It was like literally the number three comic in the industry for like maybe four or five years. It was X Men, Uncanny X Men, and Spawn were just always the top three books. I think it was less than that. I think it was only a couple of years. Even so, um, like there was a period where. And like not not even immediately after launch, like you know, for a time significantly after Spawn had been going for some time, it was still super huge, and now it sells maybe ten thousand copies or something. And it's like it's it's very very minor, but it is still going. I'm just looking up while we're here the uh, comic sales for. Uh... <laughs> for June 2018. Uh, there was a time where it dropped out of the top 300 completely, so I'll be interested well, to see what it's in now. Uh, well, actually, this list seems to have more than 300 because okay. uh, Spawn is 
Uh, oh no, that was a previous issue. No, I'm wrong. Sorry, it was a because I saw there was an issue of Spawn in the 400s selling. Um, <laughs> uh, no, uh, Spawn issue 286 in June was at number 37 and sold 38,000 copies. It sold more than Saga. Fucking hell. Well, I know it got a, it got a big bump at some point. Okay, let, let me take back what I said because that's it must have been if they if they've had like a big relaunch or something recently. That's I, yeah, I'm I think it was. I think 250 like, gave yeah. it a really massive bump. It's it's sold more than Black Panther, more than Captain America, more than Wonder Woman. There you go. Um, more than Saga is particularly surprising. Uh, so so it, regardless of what, sells whether like four times as much as Wicked and Divine, although you know that's not in trade. I was going to say a lot of uh, these books will actually be selling in trade. Yeah, like like, like Saga in trade is I insane. Think spawns <laughs> a book people are still buying monthly. Yeah, but aside from what's going on, well, both now and back then. What is the appeal of Spawn, and what is the appeal to Bloomhouse of making a Spawn movie in 2018? I think because the, because this movie singularly fails to show me what is the hook of this okay, character. Well, I think other, well, other than I think other than shit, shit, pe- shit goes right over cool costume. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think what people like about Spawn is the mythology of it, because like it just it keeps going, and it's like. It's epic, sort of grandiose stuff that is still can, on some level relatable. You can never underestimate the appeal of um, a grim, vengeance-driven vigilante <laughs> to teenage boys, especially if you couple it with uh, lots of hellfire and a and a new metal soundtrack. I mean, um, Spawn's also, well beyond the like vengeance-driven thing, though. Like they've done so many things with Spawn, like they've replaced yeah, but, him with yeah, other. Yeah, but if you're going to do a movie, you're going to be going back. to oh, the, sure, yeah, the yeah, starting yeah. Point. Like they, um, I'm trying to think what other cool things they've done with Spawn. Like they, for a while, they made him a villain, um, and they had not a, a villain a to different start with. Spawn. <laughs> well, no, I mean, one of the conceits in the comics actually is every time he uses his powers, he gets closer to to death, right? Um, and there used to be a little timer, and then when he became a mega spawn, his timer just read infinity, and that was really cool. <laughs> like that's the that kind of thing like that's out of nightmare. That's the kind of thing that keeps spawn going is that it has this like, you know, internal mythology that it keeps building on and keeps revisiting and expanding and transforming, and some people just clearly eat that shit up. I think I think the answer to the question of uh, why make a movie of it in 2018 is because if you can make a movie of something that you can say is based on a comic book in 2018, then you're laughing. Well, like in, again, to be fair, the there's nothing about the Spawn concept that doesn't work. Like it, you know, that's a that's a fine story if you're going to make it. Like guy makes a deal with Satan to to come back to life and get screwed over, like how many movies have been made with that exact concept it's just well, this it's, guy it's happens fast. to be a superhero <laughs> well quite so is he a, is he alive because <laughs> they kept like I, I know they kept saying like oh like it, it, if we if you don't do this we'll kill you yeah so, i liked there's a bit there's a bit where the demon says to him like you know if you don't lead by army you will die and it's like he already I was like, has yeah. done <laughs> He already has died. It doesn't look like he's living much of a life. And also, if he makes the right decisions here, he now knows there's a heaven and a hell and an afterlife. He might have a shot at the good place, you know? <laughs> I'm just waiting for a good place joke from one of the people who actually watches it. I mean, that was that was, that was was it. <laughs> I, I mean, my favourite thing about the film is that even even the effects are basically unfinished. Like the... Well, the- 
you know, whenever he talks to Malbogia in hell and Malbogia <laughs> talks, but his mouth doesn't sync yeah, with any talking. Oh. <laughs> it's just like being a voiceover or something. It's, it's insane that it got released in that condition into actual cinemas. And But even, even that that was the design of a character in this movie. <laughs> This movie made $87.8 million worldwide. This is the most astonishing thing about Spawn. It was a financial success. Yeah. It made money. Like, not a lot of money, but it made money. Well, because in 1997, you could sell a Spawn movie. <laughs> Clearly. Like, I'm not at all surprised they cut their losses and went, well, let's not do a sequel because, you know, that's not going to work. <laughs> but the fact that oh. it made money... Yeah. Yeah, it more than doubled its budget. Yeah. Fair play, fair play. <laughs> I mean, but yeah, like yeah, I, I, it's it to an extent I can see it. It's got a kind of like a cool poster. the 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 image of Spawn on the box is cool. You don't get as much of it as you should do in the movie. And yeah, it's based based on a hit comic book. This is the year that Batman and Batman and Robin was released. There's there's some appetite for that. Maybe maybe an appetite opposite Batman and Robin for a slightly darker take on the superhero <laughs> stuff. I mean, I can I sort know. you can you can see though why Bloomhouse would go. Oh, uh, you know, horror horror property based on a comic. They want to make it cheap. Well, why so not? that's what that's what I wanted to pivot into here because it sounds like the version of Spawn that they are making in 2018 is a different take on Spawn from this movie and from the Spawn that was around in the 90s. Because I know all the conversations that we've had around Spawn this year, you've been saying the name Sam and Twitch at me. <laughs> and that's <laughs> and that's not an aspect of this movie. So talk to me about what that is and how that could feasibly work with Jeremy Renner playing some kind of amalgamation of those two characters, it sounds like, in... In the new movie opposite Jamie Foxx. Yeah. So Sam and Twitch are homicide detectives in New York who kind of cross paths with Spawn. Like they were in the they were in the series from the very start. Um just didn't make it into this. No, because I think this movie went straight to the the kind of epic mythos part of right. Spawn, whereas their role in the comics was like Oh, you know, someone has turned up murdered in, in Rat City again. Like, let's go and interview some perps or whatever. Right. Um, And it, it seems like the Bloomhouse movie is going to be from their perspective. And they... Well, well from, from Jeremy Renner's perspective, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, And they'll be... And Christ, they're finally putting that guy in a movie. <laughs> and, yeah, they're going to encounter Spawn already fully formed i imagine rather than giving us the origin like i'm sure we'll see oh, his origin god yes but the story is not going to be the story of spawn's origin it will be texture on a film about something else yeah but well i even wonder whether this isn't a character who i think beyond comics people people actually know what spawn's deal is no sure and so i could i could see that you make a movie with spawn in the background and almost his his origin is kind of semi a mystery that you don't you kind of don't delve into why 
the whys and the wherefores of what's going well, on. Yeah, this you can imagine, just, you know, you know because, Sam and Twitch having their wall where they're like, "Oh, who is this guy? What's his connection to our Simmons?" And some of the audience might know. Some of yeah, the audience, and eventually might not. they figure out, like, "Oh, he is Al Simmons." But mm. you know, that's a that's a way of telling the story in a more relatable way than like, "Here's Al Simmons meeting the devil and making a very quick decision that he'd rather be alive than down here." So. Do you think that that concept can, will work? I mean, like, odds are it's going to be a better movie than this one. <laughs> Todd McFarlane has written the script, is directing the movie, and yeah, as as mentioned, Jason Bloom's direct, uh, producing through Bloomhouse. I'm sorry, who... but Todd McFarlane has written the script and is directing. What about that makes you think it will be a better movie <laughs> than this one? <laughs> That I don't know how you make a worse movie than this one. I mean, you could start by having someone who's never written or directed a movie before (laughs) making it. But with, but what I mean, that was this one as well. Yeah, that's how this one. Uh, (laughs) That's how this one happened. And but this one has Jason Bloom guiding him through the process. Fair, fair. That's that's more convincing. You have this guy who's passionate about the property, being shepherded by a guy who has for the past decade shown a remarkable track record for kind of spinning shit into gold (laughs) well no not spinning shit into gold but like having a real finger on the pulse of what audiences want Mm. um the the purge franchises uh, for, for all i i don't think they're great movies but i think they they almost feel like they were a little they're almost ahead of their time in like the first Purge movie came around four or five years before we actually got to when they would be incredibly relevant. Um, True. They, 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 you know, he's made really good movies. He's 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 had a good eye for even like more highbrow Oscar baity kind of movies as as well as all of the horror stuff. Um, I just I buy what the, that guy is selling, and I yeah I I can imagine someone like Todd McFarlane, who has figured out a way to sell this character before, teaming with Jason Bloom. And, and, you know, Jamie Renner and Jamie Foxx. I have more confidence in this than I do in, like, the Valiant movies. Yeah, I would agree with that. Just just having the Bloomhouse name attached to it makes me think they probably know what they're doing. And that they've attracted Jamie Renner and Jamie Foxx. Based on the, based on the scripts mean, that they've got, yeah. <laughs> no, they they are like legit A list stars. Yeah, B list. Uh, I don't I I don't know <laughs> who who's on the A list if those guys are on the B list. There's not many. If there is an A list, it's very small at this. And just point. imagine anyone anyone who's in the Avengers who isn't Jeremy Renner. Oh come <laughs> on! No, yeah, fair, fair. A minus list, and after it, after it, he saves the day in Infinity War Part Two. <laughs> he's he's going to be you know number one guy in Hollywood. Um, okay, so that's what's coming with the next spawn. Is there anything else that we want to talk about from Proto Spawn that is of no other? It's just honestly, guys, this is I think the worst movie we've covered on this podcast. I, I not I think for not all necessarily the most dull. But I was going to say, on a pure technical level, 
I think it is probably worse even than Generation X. I, th- I think, yeah. I mean, while yeah. I might hyperbolically say Amazing Spider-Man 2, uh, and Amazing Spider-Man 2 is the film I hate the most that we've done. But yeah, definitely, yeah. It, it does stand However, above that, that competence level in un, in which the that, that lower tier that would include Nick Fury, Generation X, probably Howard the Duck, not the Punisher, actually. I think the Punisher is, is well above that. I think Spawn is in there, and I think I think it does lose points by being a theatrical movie rather than a TV movie. For it to be a theatrical movie that you're even talking about as possibly being worse mm. than Generation X and Nick Fury, I think that makes it worse. Just, just <laughs> yeah, that that, that, that definitely plays into it slightly because, because this it has feels... a forty million dollar budget, which okay isn't enormous, but in 1997, it's also not tiny. You know. Mm. <laughs> that's a good and point it, like it it's approximately like, a like it's it would be approximately like 40 to 60 times more expensive than generation x was yeah yeah and you, and when you watch something like generation x there's kind of a charm to the fact that there are still act breaks in there yeah you know? <laughs> like, whereas this film has moments that feel like act breaks that, that, that i just I don't. It does feel like it's been made like a TV movie, and I keep coming back to those wipes. But those are the bits that really do it. It's like I can't imagine watching this on a cinema screen. <laughs> and also, you spoke about it before. Just, it's not just that Michael J. White wear it, not having the mask on for the whole time, takes away from the coolness of Spawn. It's just that face. I don't want to ugly. Really, yeah, yeah, and not ugly in a. Oh, it's tragic because he looks like it, it, we're not talking about. It's not Deadpool's face, you know. It, no, him it's looking just bad like that is design. not a plot point. You know, it's just like it does look like one of the cheaper Hellblazers. Yeah, <laughs> Hellblazers, no, Hellraisers, yeah, yeah. Which Hellblazer was going to be called Hellraiser, but Clive Barker's Hellraiser came along at almost exactly the same time. So let's change it. <laughs> there we go. We've we've had a fact about a completely different franchise to finish out our discussion of Spawn. Guys, what are your comic book recommendations based on Spawn? Don't read Spawn. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I think if you're gonna read Spawn, the only comics to read are the first like read the first trade of Spawn. Because that's just on a pure level of what is interesting about Spawn. Like the the creation of image comics, like Todd McFarlane himself. Those are the comics to go and read. Because Spawn gets a lot better after that, but who cares about what's good when you're talking about Spawn? You just want to know what's interesting. And Seb, you're just going to stick with Don't Read Spawn. <laughs> um, I think I'll say, if you if you really want to read some comics about um, a guy who dies and goes to hell and then is sent back and continues a, a war of vengeance and has school-themed imagery, go and read some Ghost Rider comics. <laughs> <laughs> I do... Like, I do think, to be fair, the Sam and Twitch comics are reportedly quite good, and I think it was one of Bendis' <laughs> earliest gigs. Think I'm right in saying that, Seb? Yes, ben, yeah, Bendis was on yeah. Sam and Twitch. So he, yeah. the reason he joined Marvel, pretty much, was because he fell out with Todd McFarlane, and they went, well, if you're free, come and write Spider-Man for us. Um, actually, <laughs> do you know what? I, I am going to make a, a sincere comics recommendation, which is go and have a look at McFarlane's Spider-Man and and not when he was on Amazing Spider-Man which is a lot of people will have read that because that's when he introduced Venom Mm. Um, but go and read it's not very good but uh, I think Torment is the name of the first arc on his um, on his um, the the series that he wrote and drew 
which was the adjectiveless Spider-Man title. And it's it's not especially great Spider-Man comics, but it's got. I think that's when he's at the peak of his art. It's that stuff, you know that that first issue. Uh, just looking up, it sold two and a half million copies. Um, that is the stuff that directly led to Spawn existing. And as I say, while I don't think the writing is at all good, you can look at that and go, "This is why this guy went on to create Spawn. This is where Spawn came from." It is. It's insane when you think about it that Marvel essentially created the Spider-Man book. Gave it to a guy who had never written a comic in his entire life. Yeah. Like, he was literally an artist who worked with people like Peter David or whatever before. David Michelini he was working with. And it was during the period where where comics artists were rubbing up against the writers in very abrasive ways. Being like, well, we should get to direct more of what goes on in the story. And you were having things like Rob Liefeld drawing comics that completely ignored the script he was handed. But this is the first time they (laughs) went... Okay, you just do it yourself. And this, you know, that's the result. Okay, um, I think you guys, your homework between now and the 2019 release of Spawn is to read some Salmon Switch <laughs> so that you can decide whether to recommend it on that podcast. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right, uh, so that's it for Spawn. Uh, we'll move on to our final section, which is to let you know what the pitch is going to be on next week's mini-sode. Um, and basically what I want to know is Spawn is obviously a notable superhero who does not emanate from either Marvel or DC. So I want you to pick one non-Marvel or DC hero to get their own movie. And you can, you can kind of have that anytime you like, if you want, it can be coming out at like the peak of that character's popularity, or it can be to be like coming out in 2019 alongside the new Spawn movie, (laughs) I guess. Um, that's so one. that's that's the pitch for next week but that is it for this week's podcast hopefully there'll be some news for the minisode <laughs> everyone's taking summer off there's got to be some, some more trailers coming soon right it's getting far enough away from Comic Con now that we get some new batch of trailers maybe some Infinity War titles we can, title. we can talk about Iron Fist 2 ooh no <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, if you are enjoying the show listeners then please do subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, Spotify Overcast or your podcast app of choice Um, and you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash cinematic universe you can find more episodes of the show at cinematicuniverse.com you can get in touch via Facebook on Twitter at cine underscore verse where 61% of listeners agree Ant-Man and the Wasp is a good <laughs> I, I just want to make a point. 61% of people think a film is good. That means almost half of people also think it's bad. So what we've proven there is that the film is definitely not 100% good. I won. That <laughs> <laughs> uh, movie, uh, movie feels... So long ago now. <laughs> well, in America, <laughs> it was. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you can get in touch via Facebook. I've said that already. You can also send us an email to editorial at cinematicuniverse.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.
I can assure you I mean you no harm. Who are you? Who? Who is but the form following the function of what and what I am is a man in a mask? Well, I can see that. Of course you can. I'm not questioning your powers of observation. I'm merely remarking upon the paradox of asking a masked man who he is. Oh, right. But on this most auspicious of nights, permit me then, in lieu of the more commonplace sobriquet, to suggest the character of this dramatis persona. Voila! In view, a humble vaudevillian veteran, cast vicariously as both victim and villain by the vicissitudes of fate, this visage, no mere veneer of vanity, is a vestige of the vox populi, now vacant, vanished. However, this valorous visitation of bygone vexations stands vivified and has vowed to vanish these venal and virulent vermin, vanguarding vice and vouchsafing the violently vicious and voracious violation of volition. The only verdict is vengeance, a vendetta, held as votive, not in vain for the value and veracity of such shall one day vindicate the vigilant and virtuous. Verily, this vichyssoir of verbiage veers most verbose, so let me simply add that it's in my very good honour to meet you, and you may call me V. Are you like a crazy person? First hate, you guys. Cinematic Universe returns in two weeks' time with V for Vendetta. <laughs>